So our firm question of the day, just to start it out right, um, is if you had to be on one reality TV show, which reality TV show would it be? And I like this question because y'all know I love me some reality TV. You know, I, I need a, a little bit of that ratchetness in my life um, every day in order to survive. So hmm, let me think what reality TV show. It, OK, I would probably have to be now. I don't want to be a guest because I'm on the baby mamas, but. I would probably have to be in the audience for the Maury Povich show. Yes, I said it. Okay, so listen, I have to be there on the front row and I will probably get put out because I will be screaming, you are not the father every time somebody comes up because that is like the best line. So who would want to do that? And I'll be falling out and screaming. I, I think I will. I think I will be the perfect audience member for that show. Now, I would say I think the only show that that, that beats that for me is the Jerry Springer show. Okay, everybody knows the Jerry Springer show. Everybody watched it at least some point. You know, when you were sick and at home from school, let me act like you didn't watch it. But unfortunately, and y'all gonna have to call somebody because Jerry Springer decided to stop all the ratchetness to become a TV judge. Who does Jerry Springer think he is? Like, I have been dependent upon all of this ratchetness in the mornings for, I don't know, ever. Who told him he can go become a TV judge? We don't need no more TV judges. I mean, we, we got Judge Judy and everybody know I love me some Judge Judy. We got Judge Mathis. I think they got this down pat. You know, I was a little sad. And it's not like I was old enough anyway to, to really have a, a feeling over it anyway. When when Judge Joe Brown went off the air. Um, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. We got Judge Judy. We got Judge Mathis. We really just don't need no more TV judges at this point, especially if it means that we must end the Jerry Springer show. I am legitimately upset about this, and I think I need to talk to somebody. I think that's what I'm doing. I'm going to go talk to my counselor about it. By the way, I think people who don't get counseling or see a therapist are really the crazy ones, um, especially when dealing with situations like this. I mean, what am I supposed to do? on the in the morning especially when you know we're working from home now so i don't know i feel like jerry Springer is really missing out on a good opportunity plus there is still drama in the days of rona i mean he crazy the, the, people got you know a lot of feelings to uh, to get out you know they got a lot of fighting they got to do because somebody cheated with this person or slept with this person and people are still getting married. Did you know you could get married on the Jerry Springer show? Yes, you could. Because people used to do it all the time. So, anyways, I, I'm going to calm down from that. Because, see, my pressure is getting high now. Um, and, and I'm getting just a little bit upset. And, and I'm feeling like I want to do some wrong things and make some bad decisions. Um, but since Jerry Springer decided to go off and be some TV judge... I think that I'm going to have to just go to the Maury Povich show, which, you know, it's it's equally good. 
So it's it's not it's not any worse than Jerry Springer. It's equally good. Um, and by the way, I could be wrong on this, but I thought that they filmed both the Jerry Springer show and the Murray Povich show in the same studio. So really, I wouldn't even have to go anywhere. Okay, I'm getting upset at Jerry Springer again, and I'm sure he's a great guy, but. Basically, I'm saying he need to leave that TV judge stuff alone and come on back over here and give us the ratchetness that we really need in order to get throughout our day. And by our day, I mean my day. Um, but I think, yes, it would definitely be the Murray Povich show. I will be right on the front row. You are not the father. It, it, just the way that he says it, it just you you he still has a way of saying it where you just don't know whether he is or he is not the father until he's done saying the father that's what i think makes it interesting about him but one thing that's gonna have to change i'm tired of uh Maury povich wearing these sweaters i'm tired don't get me wrong he got a good sweater game going on he didn't had it going on for 14 15 years so you know i i'm sure i'm sure his wife appreciated but he gonna have to switch it up Donald Trump wins re-election. Okay, well, the election hasn't happened yet, so uh, maybe not. But I think, uh, and I hate to be a best pessimistic, but I do think that that's where it's headed. And here's why. So, poll numbers. No, not the regular poll numbers that we used to see in 2016. Although, I do think that those poll numbers were right. You may ask me, well, Lawrence, how are they right? Well, poll numbers are just statistics and you can make statistics say uh, whatever you want to say. Um, so statistics tell you the what they don't tell you the why. And what they were telling us was that Hillary Clinton was the favorite. Um, and also what they were telling us that we were ignoring that people really, really disliked Hillary Clinton. And so they weren't enthusiastic about voting for her. And so for one reason or another, or no reason at all, people just didn't go out to vote. For instance, Wayne County, where Detroit sits, you got 80,000 people who voted in 2008 and in 2012 who did not show up in 2016. Donald Trump won Michigan by 10,000 votes. So I think it's the same way with other states like Wisconsin, like Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin especially. Um, where you had just that low voter turnout. Now, the difference this election is that Joe Biden is no Hillary Clinton. And we, we see that in the polls. We even saw that in the primaries, right? So one of the things that, that happened in the primaries in 2020, the Democratic primaries that didn't happen in 2016, was again, that high voter turnout. In some cases and in some states, Joe Biden alone got more votes in the primary than all votes that were cast in 2016 for the Democratic primary. So that already tells you that Joe Biden is getting that enthusiasm and getting that 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 turnout to vote. So why do I say that Donald Trump wins, wins re-election or why do I think that? Well, it's because of one thing that we know we've learned about Donald Trump since the day he came down that elevator in 2015. And that is when Donald Trump is backed against the wall, when he feels like things are not going well for him, he finds a way to win. 
whatever he has to do, Donald Trump will find a way to win. Now, he may not be able to get out of this one. And the polls are definitely showing that Biden is favored, um, not just favored to win the election, you know, overall from registered voters, but they're also showing that his favorability ratings are higher. So people like Joe Biden um, more than they dislike Joe Biden. And they certainly like Joe Biden more than they like Donald Trump. Can that resonate with those more progressive voters who were part of the primary process, didn't really get the candidate they want, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders, and get them to the polls or at least to the ballot box or to their mailbox in the fall? I don't know. That's a question that I think we're all sitting back trying to figure out um, and trying to just see and speculate at this point. So I don't know, but I do think that we have not seen the last of Donald Trump. I think he is going to continue to fight hard. He's going to continue to fight even harder um, because that's just what he does in order to win your election. Now, what that looks like can be scary and it may even backfire. There are a lot of things that that has happened that Trump has done to as a way to make him look more positive that has backfired. One of those most notably is the Republican National Convention. Now, I never miss a convention. I love the conventions. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the Republican National Convention in full this year, but I can say one thing about conventions. Conventions always give whoever the nominee is a boost in the polls. Always. That has always happened. That is always to be expected. The favorability ratings go up for that candidate. The approval rating go up goes up for if that candidate is, a, is an incumbent. Well, that didn't happen this year. Um, Trump's favorability ratings remained flat. More than 60% of Americans still view him unfavorably in terms of his handling of the coronavirus. And now more and more Americans are leaving or becoming discouraged with this handling of the economy. Right now we've got you know, high unemployment. We've got a lot of people on unemployment insurance. We've got businesses who were opening up for a while. Now they're closing back down. Um, and we just surpassed that 1 million mark for initial uh, unemployment insurance claims. So the economy doesn't seem to be getting worse, but it also doesn't seem to be getting better. And that doesn't do well for most people because we know that Trump inherited a really good economy and all of those jobs that we gain in that longest, um, I believe is the longest employment growth in peacetime history in the United States from Barack Obama that was translated over into Donald Trump's presidency. All of those jobs are gone. So all of those people who got their jobs since, you know, 2008, great recession are now looking for jobs again and so i don't know how well that's going to do and we see some slippage in the polls there but again none of those issues or maybe not even uh, as high intense as those issues are could be around in november so i'm just saying that let's say in a month or maybe two months um nobody could be thinking about the coronavirus or we could miraculously add four million jobs um to the economy and the private sector by november 1st also when apparently 
the CDC is supposed to be releasing this new miracle drug that's supposed to help to cure the symptoms of the coronavirus on November 1st, a few days just before the election. Take that as you will, whatever. But I think that Trump will fight. He will fight. He will scratch. He will claw. He will whine. And I think that gets him the win. Um, because I think he, that he can convince enough people that he is the victim of deep state, you know, all the conspiracy theories. We know what, what it comes up with deep state, liberals, anarchists, you know, all of that. I will say that the one thing that is not resonating with Americans that is not working for him is the whole America is out of control thing if i was on his campaign i will literally advise him please take down that campaign ad it is not working for you okay you have a campaign ad up saying that you will not be safe in joe biden's america showing videos from donald trump's america right of violence it just doesn't make any sense so i think that he should definitely take that down but after he do that he gonna be straight i think trump is going to come out kicking and screaming and fighting and I think that's going to give him the best chance to win re-election. Now, is that a best bet? Maybe not. I think Joe Biden is definitely a tough candidate. He is no Hillary Clinton. And the ticket is not as liberal as they thought it was, the Republicans. It's not as liberal as they thought it was. Um, and, and well, that I thought it was. Four months ago, five months ago, nobody said Joe Biden was winning this nomination. And here it is. Joe Biden is the nominee for president. Um, so the ticket was not supposed to be this conservative. It wasn't supposed to be this moderate. And that's thrown a monkey wrench in some of their, their claims for, you know, radical socialism, extra high taxes, you know, the usual Republican claims uh, that you can go throw against Democrats. That doesn't seem to be sticking, at least in the poll numbers doesn't seem to be sticking with anybody at this point they're just wasting money but i still think that this is donald trump's election to lose all right let's take a real life moment this moment i just want to dedicate it to managers and leaders and i want to talk about just how they are similar but they're also very very different and one is no greater than or less than the other, right? Managers need leaders. Leaders need managers. I want to stress that point. Managers need leaders. Leaders need managers. But they do do distinct things, and we use them um, for different or distinct purposes. And in certain contexts, in certain time frames, and in certain positions, we want one over the other, right? One of the things that uh, a manager does is reforms and perfects processes to achieve certain results, right? That's according to Kevin Cashman in his book that he wrote, The Pause Principle. I will advise you to read that. I don't advertise for free, but these are this is just the kind of thing that I just have to tell you about, okay? You have to read that book. It is essential and it will change your life. I think it will at least. It definitely did for me. It taught me what it means to be a manager and what it means to be a leader. Managers are 
all about processes, right? So think of your manager at work or think of your manager um, at any store that you may go to. They're all about processes, right? They can turn a chaotic process into a smooth process. Why? Because they are looking for predictable results every single time. And that's just that. Now, leaders, though, leaders love those complex situations because they are looking for the creativity in you as a person. The art of leadership, I quote from the pause principle, the art of leadership is growing people to produce enduring value, end quote. Uh, John C. Maxwell, who talks about leadership and is a huge influence uh, on me. He doesn't know me. I don't know him personally, never met him. I would love to meet him, but he talks about leadership a lot. He's a leading mind on leadership. He talks about how leaders uh, invest in other people, that they see the value in other people. And that's what leaders go about. Again, that doesn't make being a manager wrong. You need a manager in a lot of cases, especially if you own a business, if you're trying to conduct business, trust me, you want a manager. But in some instances, you want a leader. John C. Maxwell says that when you, the leader, when you invest in people, people will invest in your vision. So if you're in an organization, if you're part of a club, if you have a business where there is no leader, or where there is no effective leader, then you're going to have some problems because people won't care about your business. People will only care about what your business is doing for them. For instance, you ever see those businesses who may furlough some workers or may cut workers pay, you know, for a, a, an economic downturn. And then there are some workers who stay with that company. There is no doubt not that, you know, the workers can just up and quit because <laughs> they don't want to be without a job, but there is no doubt that there is a leader there that keeps them there. I can promise you this, that if for no reason the boss came down and said, I'm going to have to cut your pay by about 10% just so I can work out a few things, there could be half of us that are be out of there right? Because we don't respond to uh, whatever leader is in place if there is a leader in place. But then there are a good chunk of us who will stay. And one of the reasons is because we have, as people, we have been invested in, our leadership growth and opportunities have been invested in and been at the forefront. So people will stay uh, because they are not just invested in what you can give them. So the resources that you have, they're invested in your vision. Where do you want to go? They see beyond where you are and they want to help you get to where you want to go. And they're willing to use their skills, their talent, and give their time in order to make sure you reach whatever goal you have. That's effective leadership. And so for our life moment today, I just want us to think about that. Think about how that plays a role in our lives Think about how that plays a role in your family life and think about just you as an individual. Take a moment like the Paul's principle tell us to do to just take a step back to look at ourselves, to reevaluate ourselves. 
Think about your values, your purpose in life, your cause, what you're most passionate about, and maybe even what ticks you off, what causes you to leave, what causes you to become discouraged. And realize that the full picture of who you are. So that way you can be as effective as possible. One of the things that I know that I do great is time management. I have been a favorite and uh, a good subscriber to Google Calendar. My life has been run by Google Calendar since freshman year of college. Okay. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I have become so efficient at time management that it's really a no brainer to me. And I kid you not, I spend about two to three hours a week just going over my schedule. So that way I know later on in the week for the rest of the week, I know exactly what I'm doing at exactly what times that I plan and I'm disciplined about sticking to that time schedule. But that's efficiency. What I want to be is not just efficient. I want to be effective. And I want you to be effective too. And you cannot be effective just because you are efficient. Being effective is not just spending your time in certain places or knowing how to spend your time. That's not it, right? Greg Williams, the CEO of Acrisure, a multi-billion, multinational insurance company, now the number two brokerage in the world. And he says this perfectly. He says, that you may have more money than me, you may have more or less number of houses than me, but you will never have more time. And the key to success is not how much time you use, but how you use that time. And so that's important. Our real life moment this week is about time, effectiveness, and being a leader right? We want to be effective leaders. We want to be effective managers. And it's all about how we use our time. Pause. Think about what you are. Think about what value you bring to an organization or a company. And mind you, you could be a leader in one organization, but be a manager in another. There's nothing wrong with that. You could, it just depends on the context, right? And even some managers are perfect in this area and they're horrible in another. Same with leaders, right? There's a lot of people who fail at leadership, especially when they reach a certain level of leadership in a particular organization, because they think that that level of leadership transfers to other places. It does not. You start at the bottom. But it's not the end where you find your greatest accomplishments. It's in your journey. So remember that. Um, learn who you are. Take a step back. Pause. Think about what value you bring this week and live. That's the, the life moment, I guess, this week. Live. Learn how to live and do it effectively. Don't waste your time this week, folks. Get out there. Do something positive. Do something that benefits you. We are so used to working for other people and building other people's dreams that we are too tired and we never have time to do it on our own. So even if I spend 40 hours or 45 hours working for you, please understand and believe 
that I still got 168 hours in a week. I get to choose how I spend that time. Now, will you spend that time becoming more effective at being a manager or a leader? Or will you spend that time worried about how much time you have to spend trying? Something to think about. Good luck. So the police are ruling Daniel Prude's death uh, a homicide, or the medical examiners, I should say, a homicide in New York. This is a guy who suffered from mental illness. Uh, he's a black guy. He was behaving erratically, according to his brother, Joe Prude, who called 911. So back in March, Daniel Prude acting erratically, took off his clothes, was out on the street. Joe Prude calls 911. The police show up. They immediately handcuff Daniel Prude. They then put him down to the ground. You can see in the video where one officer is holding his head down to the ground. They put a spit hood, is what they call it. They put a spit hood over his head. Police claim that he was spitting at the officers when the officers arrived. So Daniel Crude is on the ground. Daniel Prude is on the ground. There's the cops hand on his head, pushing his head against the ground, as you can see in the video. And there's another officer with the knee and Daniel Prude's back. Well, Daniel Prude, while on the ground, uh, went motionless. He became unresponsive. The ambulance showed up and started chest compressions. And, and while they're doing chest compressions, by the way, Daniel Prude's hands are still cuffed behind his back. They rush Daniel Prude to the emergency room um, where he is in a coma for a week before he dies. Now, this was back in March. This hasn't come out because there was some sort of investigating to be done. Um, almost said that there was an investigation, but according to local law enforcement in New York, they are not firing these officers because they are still investigating. So however long it takes to investigate something like this with body cam footage, I probably would never know. Uh, but they are investigating this, and that's one of the reasons why they haven't been fired. I think by the time this segment airs on the podcast that a few of them will be fired, and I'll be sure to follow up with that. But it just goes to show the whole, hmm, how can I explain this? I think, I think the interesting thing is we thought that we had moved past this with, with George Floyd. Um, and, and in some ways, maybe that is still the argument because the Daniel Prude incident happened before the George Floyd incident. But the George Floyd incident highlighted because it was called in broad daylight. 
it was called on video, it highlighted the officer's conduct in broad daylight that we don't usually get to see. And, and that sparked kind of the outrage. And I think one of the things or the themes that has been pervasive throughout our, our conversation when we talk about the George Floyd incident is that this incident is one incident from some bad cop, maybe even in a bad department, who was just doing stupid things. Donald Trump the other day, for instance, said um, that the cop involved in Jacob Blake's situation, we know Jacob Blake in Wisconsin was shot in the back eight times by an officer. Donald Trump said that he choked, whatever that means. But the, the idea is the same here, that George Floyd incidents was just one incident out of many other positive incidences with officers across the country. And there is no way that things like this, like George Floyd happens on a regular basis. And unfortunately this news being brought to light now just shows what we've known for a very long time. And that is, this is the usual that this is the norm because if it isn't then how is it possible that officers are choking in wisconsin in milwaukee in new york in la where they shot that guy 20 times last week it, it, it seems to be a pattern here, nonetheless. Now, there are definitely good officers, right? So no one is saying that all officers are bad, right? The flesh, the, the fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and or systematic forces that allow things like this to happen. And so the question that we're all grappling with as a society, as a nation, is what do we do about this? Now, the president, the attorney general, both have come out and said, and, and even at the press conference in Wisconsin, you know, Trump never met the family of Jacob Blake, never spoke to the family of Jacob Blake. Um, I believe that the response from the White House was that the president was tracking down the contact information for Jacob's Blake family, which is, you know, if, if, if anybody would have your phone number, you would think it would be the freaking federal government. Um, but they were tracking down the contact information. And so Donald Trump, his attorney general, both say that there is no systematic racism that there is no racism pervasive in the criminal justice system, that these are just separate incidents that have nothing to do with one another. They're separate on their own and they are done by bad cops. They don't say bad cops, but cops that choke or cops that don't get it right. Um, and cops that make the good cops, which are most cops look bad. And so of course, the Joe Biden's camp is saying this is institutional racism. 
this is systematic racism and we have to do something about it now at the same time saying that looting and rioting is bad that it shouldn't be done that it's wrong and that we shouldn't do it and those who do it quote should be held accountable according to the law end quote so we've got two different camps here but the thing is and i think I can't speak for all people of color, but I think that we all share this sentiment that color shouldn't be political, that this is not a political issue, that this is a humanities issue. I don't have to be Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative in order to say that this is wrong. I don't have to even be uh, a voter of one party over the other, or maybe even a third party in order to say that this is wrong. And so the question that I would ask is, can at least we admit that this is wrong? Because there seems to be you know, a difference of opinion in terms of what we have all seen with our own eyes, right? Is it wrong? And if it's wrong, then what do we do about it? We didn't already had the George Floyd protests. We already had the national protests. At one point, Black Lives Matter um, movement was up in the polls where a majority of Americans agreed and were supportive of Black Lives Matter. Those poll numbers have dropped a little bit as expected. But the simple fact is that this is going to continue until we have some concrete change. And fortunately and unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes with things like this, it has to come from the top. And even if it doesn't come from the top, at least the folks at the top could stay out of the way. I really like the fact that the whole uh, George Floyd incident and the process that followed after that incident were just grassroots. I think I was the only one saying that I, I'm actually glad that we don't have a comprehensive central figure or leader or one that makes sense or one that we all, or at least a majority of us like, that can just say nice words and kick the can down the road. Because then we'll be looking for that person to lead. And we'll be waiting for them to do the work that we think they should do. And then when they don't get the work done, then we want to hold them accountable and say they're a failure. And the only reason why I say that is because getting rid of institutional racism is not a one man's job or one woman's job. And it doesn't matter what position you are in or if you hold no position, you can't do it alone. It takes a lot more of us. And so we stop looking to the White House for changes on this, for a comprehensive message on this. And we stop looking to the White House to tell the truth. And we just start looking to the streets. We just start listening to the folks who are out walking and talking on the streets, pounding the pavement with their signs, with their letters, with 
their recordings, with everything that they were out there doing um, in support of black lives. We just started listening to those folks on the street. And so what has to happen now, and I think most people would agree with this, what happen, what has to happen now is that that message not only must resonate with people in power, but people in power then have to do something. At the end of the day, we live in a representative democracy, which means we elect people to represent us for issues like this. And until those people who are elected get their feet off the ground, get their butts out of the chair, and start doing something about it, then we face this dilemma. Now, the flip side of that, and, and some of you may not like this, but most times, whenever we look at the government to do something about the issue of race, it always hurts people of color more. And we definitely don't want to do that. And so we want to make sure that in the decision making process that we're not just asking the white people who make up Congress to make changes, but that people of color are sitting at the table, that people of color are empowered. You know, there's a difference between being delivered and liberated. Being delivered is being rescued. Right. You are rescued because you cannot break free yourself. Being liberated is being empowered so you can continue on by yourself. People would rather deliver you to bring you out of a situation because you can't do it yourself than to liberate you. Because then to liberate you means that the liberator gives the liberated the tools and the resources that the liberated needs to even use against the liberator. So we got to choose, and it's a tough choice, I know, from my white brothers and sisters. It's a tough choice. But I want you to understand that no one is asking for more than what you have. They're asking, we're asking for equal. So in the same way a white person would get justice, we just want justice. And we want this to stop happening in the first place. I, I think that that may be a good place to start. How about we save ourselves the protests, the looting, the political banter over Black Lives Matter, save ourselves the, the emails, the phone calls, the TV ads. Let's save ourselves all of that by just not doing it in the first place. What is it killing unarmed and innocent civilians? I'm going to do a segment sometime in the next few weeks about defund the police, because that is a hot topic um, right now, especially now that this is just coming up again and again and again. And there's a lot of crosstalk right now about what that means and what it looks like. And it doesn't mean, and I saw a political ad on TV today, it doesn't mean that the money that we are paying our police department automatically goes away. It just means that the some of the money that we're paying our police department 
is diverted into the resources that we actually need. And unfortunately, Daniel Prude's death is a perfect example of that. Imagine if Joe Prude, and, and I just feel for the guy, because you call 911 so your brother who is mentally disturbed can get help. And it was the phone call you place that led to his death. I mean, I just, I just couldn't deal with that. But defunding the police, the whole idea behind that is diverting some of the, the financial resources that we're paying the police department. So that way Joe Prude could have called someone else, somebody else or a group of people who are specialists in this type of area who could have, have helped Daniel Prude and Daniel Prude would have been alive today. Now, say what you want, but I'm starting to think that they have a point that defund the police wing of the progressives right now. They have a, a huge point because obviously the police were not the answer. <laughs> Daniel Prude was mentally disturbed. That's not against the law. He wasn't breaking any laws. He wasn't breaking into anybody's home. He was not physically threatening uh, another person. And, and if he was, he was mentally disturbed. And how many folks do we know who are mentally disturbed walking around? Because either they don't get the help that they need or they can't afford the help that they need. And that's just, that's another episode and all of itself. But I think though, in the end, we've got to rethink how we do this. We got to rethink how we do policing. Because if it means that I can call or that I call 911 on my mentally disturbed brother to get him the help that he needs and he ends up dead a week later, well, come on, that just doesn't work. All right, y'all want to hear something stupid? So this guy in Pennsylvania walks into a pizza shop. Okay, this is not a joke. Okay, I promise, I promise, I promise this is not a joke. You can look this up right now. He walks into a pizza shop applies for a job his name is nicholas marks 22 years old on the way out of the pizza shop after he had applied he grabbed the tip jar and ran out the door now the tip jar had about 200 dollars in it 220 dollars right and so the cashier chases after the guy then backs off goes back and of course they remember he just applied for a job so they have his name his phone number his address and they even had his backpack which had more things you know of his name in it um and all that kind of good stuff and they also found some drug paraphernalia in the backpack which is not going to do so well for him once he gets to court of course they called him because you know he left his name phone number and address um and of course if you apply for a job you got to have your social security number so they were going to catch him um he has been arraigned as a friday for robbery theft possession of a weapon 
simple assault and possession of drug paraphernalia so that's it <laughs> i mean come on dude get your life together um in other news uh a representative in new hampshire has advice he posted a status advising people and encouraging people to burn and or loot the houses of anyone with a black lives matter sign in front of the house and i just gotta pause right there because i mean just like like why would you do that and of course new hampshire attorney general is on a case talk to him or whatever there's a there's cause for him to resign uh, and all that kind of good stuff but you know we know he's not going anywhere um but seriously dude why would you encourage that um it's it's just ridiculous uh in other interesting news pilots flying into lax think that they saw someone flying a jetpack around this at least what they told the faa while they were flying in someone with the jet jetpack was flying 300 yards south of the la final at about 3,000 feet or 10 miles and uh they're trying to figure out who it, who it is so if any of y'all got a jetpack out there that you've been hiding from me or you know somebody with a jetpack that they've been had from the rest of us we got a discussion to have because I don't think we can be friends no more. None of my friends can have a jetpack. That's pretty cool. And not tell me about it. It's just not so. Okay. Now, my dumb story of the day, and I only call it dumb because I'm a Christian. Now, this is not a Christian podcast. Um, a lot of you who are listeners, you don't have to be Christian in order to listen to this. This is just neutral ground here. Um, but I personally am a Christian and apparently a Christian site. They don't name exactly who they are, this Christian organization, but they started a GoFundMe page for the 17-year-old who shot and killed two people at a protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You've heard about this. You saw the video there. You know, not only is conservative media coming up to support the guy, which I really don't understand how you can support a guy who literally shot and killed two people. It wasn't in self-defense. It was just cold-blooded murder. I don't understand that. And additionally, get this, a conservative student group at Arizona State University pledged to donate half of its future fundraising dollars to the guy in his defense. I mean, come on, dude. Who does that? It's just, it's the most ridiculous thing. And they're looking to, there, there's a couple of, on one of the, the um, GoFundMe pages, they want to try to raise $50,000. On the other, they want to raise $250,000. But guy, let's just get it right here the guy is going to jail going to jail today they raised over three hundred thousand dollars for this killer guy who killed two people i mean what a waste of money but the liar liar um goes to um a guy who <laughs> lied to folks <laughs> Oh my God, I should laugh about this because this is real. <laughs> uh, okay, his name is Steve Bannon. You probably heard of him. Uh, Trump right-hand man going into the White House. 
Um, he set up an organization, GoFundMe pages, and all of that, soliciting donations to build a wall at the southern border. We know that that was Trump's campaign promise in 2016, that he would build a wall at the southern border, which, by the way, has not been built yet. Um, the money that has been spent uh, has been spent mostly to repair partial portions of the wall um, but there's not a lot of new wall that has been built but that's neither here nor there we'll talk about that another time this guy steve bannon i don't know why i find this so funny i'm trying to keep it together so i can tell you the story so he has been arrested along with his friend they've both been arrested and indicted for fraud mail fraud you know all of the stuff that they throw at you when you committed a crime uh, because he's been taking this money for the wall and, of course, spending it on himself. So, yeah, basically, y'all who pay for that wall, y'all ain't getting y'all money back. Hey, it ain't ever coming back to you. Um, next time, just just don't be so stupid okay you, you you just it's just no way just don't be so stupid um paying for the wall and the wall ain't even going up and maybe that's what's going to happen for these folks who donated three hundred thousand dollars right they're going to try to spend it going to try to um give them a, a good defense and then it's not going to happen probably because you have to be charged by jury of your peers and by of your peers i mean in the location where the crime was committed I have a hard time believing that the people of Kenosha, Wisconsin is going to think that some douchebag traveling from another state with a gun is killed two people in self-defense for a fight he did not have to engage in. He did not have to be there. He did not kill looters and rioters. He killed two peaceful protesters. You've seen that from the video. But that's just my take. I'm not a lawyer. But if I was, or even if I wasn't, I guess that that's what happened on Suits. I would take every bit of that $300,000. I'd be buying, what's the most expensive car you can buy with $300,000? I shouldn't think about that because I'm a good person. But my friend who has some problems being good, what would he buy for $300,000? I don't know. Something to think about. Don't be stupid this week. And please don't be lying this week. That is all. Thanks so much for listening this week. If you like this episode or if you like this podcast, go ahead and follow it or subscribe to it. That way you are aware and you're up to date with each episode that I post. Episodes come out every Monday at 6 a.m. So this time next Monday, you'll be able to hear this podcast, everything that you like about it. Share with your friends. You can mic it and you can listen over and over and over again in case you got to get updated with something or there's something you just want to laugh at again, which in creating this podcast, I've had a lot of fun listening over and over and over again to some of the segments because even I thought that they were funny. Although it's weird hearing your own self talk. I don't see how people do it. But anyways, it's neither here nor there. Thank you so much for listening. I thank you all for your support. None of this could be possible without you. And again, if this doesn't help you, then unsubscribe. Stop giving to people and things that do not help you, that do not benefit you. 
and that is a drag and a waste on your time. But if this did, if you like listening to this on your way to work or while you're working, if you like listening to this while you're just hanging around the house or with your friends, be sure to subscribe, tell your friends about it, share it on your Facebook page, share it on your Twitter page, your Instagram, your TikTok, your whatever. It's a new podcast. Let's get people involved. Let's create a community. And I look forward to speaking to you. Almost said I look forward to seeing you, but we really can't see each other through this, I guess, right? I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you so much.